Could it be that you are a vulnerable patient, your patients are vulnerable patients, and what should we be doing to identify our vulnerable patients? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Matt Budoff, Associate Professor of Medicine at UCLA's School of Medicine in the Harbor UCLA Medical Center Division of Cardiology and Vice President of the Society of Atherosclerosis Imaging. Dr. Budoff is also a member of SHAPE's Board of Directors. SHAPE is the Society for Heart Attack Prevention and Eradication. Dr. Budoff, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. I'd like to ask you just what your experience has been with SHAPE and what you kind of specialize in. For the past 15 or 16 years now, I've been very active in evaluating a cardiac CT, looking at early detection of atherosclerosis or early institution of preventive therapies, and I've been honored to chair our writing groups for the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology on most or all of the papers that have come out on cardiac CT scanning over over the past five or six years. Well, let's talk a little bit about where we stand in 2008 in terms of screening. Let's take somebody with no risk factors whatsoever who is 45 years old. Should they get an EBCT if it's, let's say, if it's costing them 75 bucks? The less risk factors you have the less likely we are to find something. So I'd say with no risk factors at all, being a male of 45 is one risk factor, but I would still say they're a little bit on the on the early side. I would say 45 plus any risk factor would probably be a much better candidate. And have you done any studies looking at how well doing a Framingham risk correlates to the results you get from doing an EBCT or a CTA? Yeah, so I mean, Framingham risk is wonderful because it's a free, almost free in-office assessment. The problem is is that when, when Framingham was developed, obesity really wasn't at the same level it is today. So there was really very little or no metabolic syndrome. It was an all-white population with a lot of smoking. So I think some of the Framingham variables are, are not perfect anymore. And, and as you compare Framingham to plaque in the arteries or even MIs, more people have events that are intermediate risk than high risk. So Framingham's a little bit upside down right now, and, and I think it needs a little bit of help when the answer is your intermediate risk. What is your favorite initial screening test? Is it a carotid ultrasound IMT score? Is it an EBCT or something else? Start with a lipid panel and blood pressure and a little history, but after that I usually turn to the CT scanner if they're age over 45. If they're age under 45 and I need additional imaging, then I usually go to a carotid IMT because calcified plaque usually doesn't develop in the coronaries, usually until at least age 40. When I spoke with Dr. Shah recently, also a member of SHAPE, he stated that you guys are coming up with an algorithm that may start with either doing a carotid, and if that is positive, then you have your diagnosis. The patient has atherosclerosis. And if negative, perhaps doing an EBCT to look at another vascular bed. And if that is negative, then really the chance of having the disease is close to zero. Would you agree with that? I would. I think that the CT might prove to be a little bit more powerful. We have a paper coming out in Archives of Internal Medicine from the multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis that's going to look at this. And, And the data was already presented at the AHA last year, but it showed that the predictability of calcium scanning was about three times better than carotid IMT. So I, I would still consider in the, in the person over the age of 45 
maybe getting the CT first and not the IMT first. How do you personally define what is a vulnerable plaque and what is a vulnerable patient? Yeah, so I mean, I think finding atherosclerosis through any mechanism, CAFM, you do a carotid IMT, you do a CT, MRI, any way that you might find that somebody has obstructive disease or, or significant disease, they're a vulnerable patient. I think the vulnerable plaque is much more challenging. It's a large lipid core. It's a thin fibrous cap. Those are things that we mostly see on intravascular ultrasound or autopsy, and those are not appropriate for screening. So I don't know how to screen for the vulnerable plaque. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me from California today is Dr. Matt Budoff, Associate Professor of Medicine at UCLA School of Medicine and the Division of Cardiology and also Vice President of the Society of Atherosclerosis Imaging. Do we have any other non-invasive tools besides carotids, besides even maybe just doing an ABI? Are we missing anything? I think ABI would be the third potential way to do this, and I think that's grossly underused in practice. Uh, ankle brachial index is, again, virtually free, no radiation, easy to do by a nurse in the office, and virtually no clinician does them routinely, even in the high-risk population. So, so I think that's the third tool that I would think about. What do you think of when you see just a plain old chest X-ray comes back with a reading of highly calcified aorta? Would you say this patient has atherosclerosis and I need to treat this patient? Yeah, you know, up until recently, I probably wouldn't have given it that much credence because I just didn't know for sure and exactly what that meant. But my actual primary area of research, my R01 and my NIH research is actually in thoracic calcification, and we're showing an independent association with death and other events. So now I definitely would, would appreciate that if you have calcified arteries or aorta on any imaging modality, seen incidentally on a CT of the lung, seen on a chest X-ray or a KUB, that that person has atherosclerosis and is probably in the category of vulnerable patient. There's a disagreement out there that if you have calcified plaques, that those are perhaps fibrotic and safe and not necessarily vulnerable versus soft plaque. And again, you don't know if someone has soft plaque without either doing an IVIS or a CT angiogram. That's true, but the association of calcified plaque with some other plaque in the coronaries is very, very high. So calcified plaque is just the tip of the iceberg, and, and I agree, it might be the wrong exact plaque, but we know that the relationship of calcified plaque to soft and fibrous plaque is 20% calcified to 80% fibrous and soft. So the bigger the iceberg that I see floating among, along the surface of the water, the more calcified plaque I see, the more fibrous and soft plaque I know exists in that patient. So I know the vulnerable patient when I see calcium, even though that calcified plaque may not be the vulnerable plaque itself. Let's talk about CT angiograms. There are people that own centers and want to do screenings on everybody, and sometimes they pick up some pretty good disease. There are doctors out there say, no, never do a CT angiogram. That's not good medicine. Where are you on that spectrum? Yeah, so I'm relatively strongly against routine screening with CT angiography for three reasons. One is radiation, which has largely gotten better with CT angiography, and we now have the capability of doing these for as low as one millisievert, which is maybe the same as a couple trips to getting dental x-rays or something like that. But there's, there's iodine, 
given, and, and there could be dye reactions or renal insufficiency as a result, and then there's a significant cost involved. So I think routine screening with CT angiography at this point is premature. Let's move into when someone is actually in one's coronary artery and they don't see anything, but they stick a IVUS in there or they stick another probe in there that measures thermography or elastography or virtual histology, and they see that there is remarkable disease there. And well, let's say they're putting a stent in someone and they put one in. Should we be routinely looking for other lesions that may be hot that we're missing? Yeah, I just don't think we have enough data yet. And unfortunately, some of the early MRI data shows us that these vulnerable plaques move around, maybe as much as day to day, maybe even hour to hour. So trying to chase an ever-evolving vulnerable lesion without, without yet knowing exactly which ones are so hot that they're going to rupture soon, because we're talking about then stenting potentially almost normal-looking vessels angiographically. There are stents now. There's a company I know that's called Xstent that really has these enormous stents that could potentially stent the entire artery because they don't know which lesion is going to potentially get hot and burst. Right. And I just think that the full metal jacket, as we refer to it as, is just right now a little premature until we have a better handle on it. I think that, that following these patients... Doing a little bit of research is going to be very, very enlightening, but I, I honestly, I would feel kind of guilty if I stented an entire vessel, and then the patient went from being pretty healthy to having instant restenosis, and we kill a healthy patient for, for fear of something that might not have, not have happened. What are you currently working on today, this week, this month? Any new studies? The big studies that I've been working on are, are twofold. One is to look at plaque progression and to see if that's a marker of instability. So even the calcified plaque by itself is not vulnerable, but if you're increasing your, your amount of calcified plaque in your coronaries at a good rate, that would imply that if calcium scar tissue, you're continuing to have injury and therefore continuing to lay down scar tissue. So your, your atherosclerosis is active. So my hypothesis is that progression of calcified plaque is going to be a marker of future cardiac events. And the other thing that I do most of my research on now is CT angiography, both multi-center trials to validate it against CAF, and we're going to be presenting next week or in a few days the accuracy trial at the ACC. So how well do angiograms and CTAs correlate? So this accuracy trial, 232 patients going to the CAF lab for clinical indications, then got a CT angiogram as a research tool only. Correlation was the sensitivity was 94%, specificity 83%. So it correlated quite well. This is blinded CT reads. This is blinded QCA, quantitative coronary angiography. And the most important number, though, negative predictive value, 99%. Whether you define it by a per-patient result, per-vessel result, 50% stenosis, being significant or 70% stenosis being significant. So no matter how you slice it, a CT angiogram that does not show obstructive disease will not have obstructive disease in the calf lab 99% of the time. So I think that's a very good and consistent message with the single center studies that have been performed to date. Were you able to see any individual cases where the angiogram was totally normal and the CTA showed significant disease? Yeah, so we've definitely saw, and that's why our specificity was lower, we definitely had at least individual segments or lesions that were 
called significantly abnormal on CT that the angiogram was defined as 0% stenosis. And whether that's remodeling or whether that's a miss on the cath or an overcall on the CT angiogram, we're still looking at those individual segments and cases. Dr. Budoff, last question. What do you see coming down the road in terms of imaging technologies that will even help us more than what we have now? I really think that the future of, at least for vulnerable imaging, is going to either be MRI with certain tagging techniques to tag a vulnerable plaque or CT with a different contrast agent that goes into plaques that may be more active. So kind of combining not a PET CT, but kind of getting the activity from a PET scanner with the anatomic imaging of a CT angiogram and and seeing where the hot lesions are. Well, Dr. Matt Budoff, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on XM157. If you'd like to comment or listen to any of our podcasts, please visit us at reachmd.com. If you register there with the promo code RADIO, we will give you six months free of streaming ReachMD. You can listen to day or night, at home or at work. Thank you for listening.